0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This
1: is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, And author of the bestseller Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
0: Jason Fried is co founder and CEO of Basecamp, a Chicago based software company known for its innovative approach to work. His third business book is called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. And this is what we talk about in this episode. Jason is a longtime proponent of keeping companies profitable, lean, and manageable. He believes in businesses, not startups, and that the only successful approach to business is a calm one. He and his co-founder are also the author of two other books, Rework and Remote, and Jason also writes Inc.'s monthly Get Real column. We talk about the many ways Jason has been able to have a profitable company without having his employees work more than eight-hour days, without having them work on nights or weekends, and without their taking what he calls vacations, during which work interrupts time to restore. He eschews meetings, he keeps teams small, and he enables his employees to have uninterrupted time for thinking so they can actually get work done while at work without unnecessary distractions, calls, check-ins, etc. Jason advocates for a calm and humane workplace and he describes how he has made it a reality and how you can try to do the same. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do... I would much appreciate it if you would rate and review it on iTunes so others are more likely to find and enjoy it too. So now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from a visionary CEO who's changing the business world and making it more human. It's Jason Freed. Jason, welcome back to Work and Life. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me on again. It's fun to be back.
0: Ah, wonderful that you're, that you're here. And I just want to tell listeners, if, if you heard my first on-air conversation with Jason Fried, which is about a year and a half ago, you already know that I personally am a longtime user of his great product, Basecamp. Uh, I started with what's now called Basecamp Classic, then moved up to Basecamp two, and now it's Basecamp three, and it just continues to get better. I use it for projects with students, with clients, with vendors, and I find it. Jason didn't pay me for any of this, by the way. I'm just telling you that you sh- so you sh- so you know uh, it's it's an easy to use virtual office for all kinds of projects. I started using Basecamp so that I could work in a virtual office with lots of different teams that and, and groups that I'm a part of. And we, we find it to be just really efficient, easy, friendly. And I had no clue at the time that Jason and his co-founder had smart ideas about work and the rest of life that were exemplars of what I've been teaching at Wharton and in organizations worldwide with, with total leadership for 20 years. Uh, and that it's that it's possible to be committed to your work, love your work, be effective at your work, be profitable in your business, and still, and 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 you must have healthy, happy, uh, productive relationships uh, and 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 endeavors outside of work. What we find with total leadership in in this course and in this program is that when people focus on what matters, on who matters, and they experiment with smart ways of getting things done, they work fewer hours and they're more productive. Jason and his co-founder have in their own wonderful way put these ideas uh, into action in in their company, in Basecamp. They walk the talk. And in his new book, Jason and his co-founder spell out their company's policies and and why they've adopted them. A calm company is a choice, they say. So, for starters, Jason, tell us your philosophy.
1: Well, I think um, the philosophy is quite quite broad. But fundamentally, um, I don't think it has to be crazy at work. Mm -hmm. And that covers a lot of things. Like, I don't think people need to work 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. I don't think people need to have full schedules, nor not need to, but should. I don't think people should have full schedules. I think Mm -hmm. there should be lots of empty space and empty time for thinking and working on things that come up as they come up. Um, So I think there's kind of a, a sport, like who's busier, and I don't play that game. I, mm-hmm. I think you should be a lot less busy than most people are.
0: Now, um, did, how did how did yeah. you come to that realization that, you know, that's not the game I want to play. I want to play a different game, the well, who's busier game.
1: Yeah, because I think you need time. Like, it's time, time, you know, opportunities fill up time. And if you don't have any time that's available, then you can't do things you want to do. And I found my days are often filled with, this is going to sound heavy, but I don't really mean it this way, but it's the best word I have. My days are often filled with regret, uh, not currently, but used to be, where I had full schedule, mm-hmm. I was booked the whole day, and then something else came up that I'd prefer to do, or I had a new idea I wanted to work on and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. But I keep putting things off because my day was booked with things I decided was important or were important weeks ago, mm-hmm. and that to me is not a good way to to run your day. So I'm a big believer in having wide-open days, not days that are booked solid or even booked barely solid I, I think wide open days are more important so that's part of it as well
0: um, did something happen then, in yeah. like in your early days where you realized what was it those those moments of regret where you realized you know this is not working I, I got I gotta make it I gotta make a change
1: yeah every just every time something I wanted to do came about and I couldn't do it and it's just you know one 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 thing is no big deal, two things no big deal. But before you know it, if you start to pay attention, mm-hmm. tends to be a lot of things you can't do because you're full. Um, and I every every Monday when I start the week, I get excited about weeks that have nothing scheduled. <laughs> I, I am not excited at all about weeks that are full. Um, and I don't remember exactly when this when you know I realized this, but it's been a while now. And so we've been designing you know my I've been designing my time in, in our company around. Making sure that everybody has a full day to themselves, which means a full eight hours to themselves versus um, being stuck in, you know, mandatory meetings and, and requirements of the company. Um, so I think that this is why I think you can get plenty of work done in 40 hours uh, a week, which is, you know, five, eight hour days. If you actually have eight hours to yourself every day, that's plenty of time. And so anyway, that's how we've designed our business and what we write about in the book.
0: So what exactly is your policy with respect to meetings? How does it work if people want to meet, to talk to each so other, to really solve have, problems, or make decisions sure, together?
1: Sure, we don't have mandatory company meetings. For example, that means like we don't have Monday morning stand-up meetings or all-hands meetings or any sort of meetings that the company enforces. So if two or three people want to get together to review something, they're free to do that. If two people want to get together and review something, they're free to do that. If four people wanna get together to review something, they're free to do that, although that almost never happens. Usually, anytime people get together, it's two or three people max in our company. But it's ad hoc, on their own time, negotiated amongst themselves. There is no time being taken back by the company. Everyone decides how they wanna spend their own day. And because of that, um, and actually, part part of the reason why this is possible is because we don't share calendars with one another. So we don't believe in shared calendars. I think shared calendars are one of the worst inventions in modern (laughs) business software. Um, Because Uh, when you share a calendar, you can take someone else's time. When you can take someone else's time, you tend to do so. And then before you know it, your own time has been taken by everybody else, and you don't have any time to do your own thing. So we actually make it hard for each other or for people to get together with one another and it's more of a manual negotiation. You have to ask people for their time versus quickly taking it by clicking a box on the calendar.
0: Ah, so you, so you take away the ease of, oh, he's free at 3 o'clock, I'll just put a meeting in there. It's, people can't do that.
1: They can't do that. They can't see when people are free. If you want to know when you can get together with someone, you have to ask them. You say, hey, hey Jonas, um, are you free at 3 to go over something with me? And he'll go, yeah, I am or no, I'm not. Uh, what about 4? Yeah, cool, that's fine. Uh-huh. So some people might say, well, that's a... That's a hassle, and I would say exactly. It should be a hassle. <laughs> you want
0: the you want the hurdle to be on making the meeting rather than making it easier to have it.
1: Yes, it, people's time is sacred, and I don't think it should be easy to take other people's time. So if you have to enter a brief manual, um, uh, you know, conversation mm-hmm. or, or you know, uh, negotiation to get some time, then that's the way it should be. So because of that we don't meet that often and instead people solve their own problems their own way or we write things up and basically meet asynchronously where i put an idea in basecamp people think about it they respond when they're free and you know a discussion might take a matter of days instead of an hour which again sounds slow to many people but actually it's much faster because people are able to do their own work on their own time Mm -hmm. Um, and then they can get back to you when they're ready versus you stopping them from doing what they're doing because you have a question, then you have to break their day in half, that sort of thing. So it's actually Mm -hmm. really, really fluid and and works great.
0: So people's time is sacred, you said, and I want to break that down a little further. So what is it about people's time that is sacred? Why is that an important uh, tenet of your philosophy?
1: Well, if I expect people to do great work, you know, they have to have the time to do it. And so what happens is, is that Seems a lot of simple. businesses... simple. Yeah, right. <laughs> but in a lot of businesses, um, people are expected to do work, but they're not actually given any time to do it. And why, you know, it's kind of, we're getting circular here, but it's important because they don't have time to do it because their day is chunked mm-hmm, up into mm-hmm. smaller and smaller units of time. So they don't actually have the time to do it, which is why they're working later and longer and on the weekends. Because that's the only time they have uninterrupted stretches of time. So I want to protect mm-hmm. people's time so mm-hmm. they have it to themselves, so they can use it for what needs to get done. And if they actually have the time, then what I'm asking people to do, what people come up with to do on their own, is doable. It's not doable if you don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe, as a business owner, that I'm entitled to anyone's you know, nights or weekends or vacations or any of that stuff. That's their time. And if I'm taking that from them because I don't give them enough during the day, then that's my problem and I need to change my business.
0: That's their time. So how did you come to that realization that boundaries uh, between work and the other parts of life were were sacrosanct and that, that you as the business owner needed to respect those boundaries?
1: Well, it just feels like the right thing to do, doesn't it? I mean, it's
0: yes simple as that (laughs) yes but but it's not it's not a widely held belief or at least not it's not enacted as a widely held practice
1: unfortunately not i think um life is basically works doggy bag and that's unfortunately like you know what it's come down to like you you know you life is kind of what's left over it's the scraps basically and that's really unfortunate um how I came to that, I don't know. It just never felt like the right thing to do to ask people to do things at night. I don't want to be asked to do things at night. I don't want to be asked to do things on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I, so that's my time. Like, so how, you know if I value that time, um, how could I take that from anybody else? So it just mm-hmm. I, it doesn't make sense for me. And the other, the, the other thing is that I think a lot of business owners and businesses in, in general have this false sense of urgency where they think everything needs to be done by tomorrow morning. You know everything is so important that it can't wait, and it's just not true. Yes, there are crises sometimes, and mm-hmm. there are serious emergencies. Yeah, that can happen, but that's like you know one or two or three times a year kind of stuff, really. I mean, if everything's a crisis, then then you know that's another problem. Mm-hmm. So most things can just wait. So if I like, what do I need done at nine thirty at night? I can't wait till nine thirty in the next morning. I, I can't think of anything unless it's truly an emergency. Um, So anyway, that that basic simple logic is is kind of what keeps us uh, on track there.
0: So how does this work with respect to people who are just starting out? You know, they're eager to prove themselves, and you know they want to show the your company that these you know that they are super committed and uh you know will do anything to contribute to the collective effort uh what do you do with folks like that who are you know willing and eager to put in extraordinary amounts of time to work do you tell them not to
1: say yeah (laughs) we do um but first off i would say put in all that energy for eight hours a day that's like you should be tired at the end of eight hour days i mean like that's a long time to actually do work. So put all that energy and all that enthusiasm and all that interest into an eight-hour day and then go home and rest so you can do it again the next day Mm -hmm. and take weekends off so you come back refreshed Monday because what's going to happen is if you don't do that and you put in 60, 70, 80-hour weeks repeatedly, you're going to burn out. You're going to hate the work. Um, Mm -hmm. Creativity doesn't yield the brute force. You cannot force someone to be creative uh, by forcing them to work longer and longer and longer. People need breaks. The brain needs to reset. They need to sleep. They need to take time away. They need perspective. And you only get that from leaving. You don't get that from staying. So you go away and you come back the next day, recharged and ready to do it again. And I think that um, if you can do that for 40 hours a week and then enjoy your life outside of work, you're going to be a much happier, more fulfilled person. And those are the kinds of people we want to work at base camp. Um, some companies want to burn people out because they know there's a long list of people right behind them. Mm-hmm. They're willing to be burned out as well. Mm-hmm. I, that doesn't seem... I don't want to litter the world with burned out people. I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, and you could choose that, right? But you you choose an alternative, and I think it's such a powerful, simple, but profoundly important statement to say that uh, s- aspiring to uh, a greater sense of calm or peace in the work world and the work environment uh, is, is, is indeed a deliberate decision that one makes. And you you have made that choice, but not too many people do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a choice. You know, that's really all a business is, is a series of decisions and choices we all make as as business owners. You know, how do we want to run a business? How do we want to, you know, what kind of environment do we want to create for our employees? And these are choices. And, um, you know, we're, we're making ours, and we wrote a book about it so others can be at least exposed to our ideas, and they can shoot their own path. I can't tell anyone what to do, nor do I want to. I just want to put the ideas out there and show that there is another way. Um, and by the way, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the book we, we have our email address. Or there's an email address at the end. You can write us after you've read it. And I'm getting emails from lots of people, lots of business owners saying, you know, everyone's been telling me I'm crazy for only working 40 hours a week, <laughs> and I need to hustle and hustle and hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this book is is you know, it's great to find other people out there like me. And so there's a lot of people out there, I believe, who actually are running calm companies who mm. want to run a calmer company and but they've sort of been edged out and pushed out onto the margins by you know all the talk of exhaustion and hustle and and you know side hustles and all the you know crazy hours but um it doesn't have to be that way and there are a number of companies that don't look that way but it's just not this sexy story so there you go
0: so you're trying to change the the culture uh by offering a different set of values and a different language Comfy's cool Right, Jason? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. What, do, wrong what do you there. mean by that? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, you know, th- well, let me, I'll step back. There's a, there's a lot of talk in entrepreneurial circles and, you know, you go to any conference and any business conference and you hear people saying like, you know, you, you've, you've got to push yourself out of your comfort zone and you've got to mm-hmm. you know always be pushing yourself and always be striving for something new and the whole thing. And I think there are times when that's true, but most of the time it's not most of the time you need to be focused on what you're doing um, Mm -hmm. and you should just be getting better and better at that and being comfortable with being better and better at that. And then occasionally there's a new idea or an occasionally there's a breakthrough and then you push yourself a bit or you want to learn something new, but you're not literally learning something new every day all the time that requires you to be so deeply involved in this learning. It's just, it's, it's, it's poster speak. It's stuff you see, you know, these, these, these motivational posters. It's not, really what the day is like for most people. The day is actually, a work day it should be fairly mundane and is fairly mundane most of the time. And that's the way it should be um, because there's actually work to do and you should settle in and do the work. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's how, that's sort of the, the idea behind that particular essay in the book.
0: So there's a number of like delightful turns of phrases. I, I recall in our last conversation, Jason, how we talked a bit about your hiring practices and that even though Basecamp is essentially a tech company. I, I think that's a fair assessment. Maybe you'll disagree. Uh, you basically hire people, people have to be able to communicate their thoughts in words, in writing, uh, through yeah. clear writing. Uh, maybe that's you know well, I'm, uh, fundamental to why I just love your company so much and your whole approach Thank is you. that I'm a strong believer in clear writing as well and I try to do it myself. I often fail, but I, I strive to that. And I see, you know, the use of the English language in text is 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 becoming degraded, you know, uh, and rapidly yeah. so in recent years. So you know, it's wonderful that you stand for that and that you require that. And of course, it's necessary to to be respectful of and and, and uh, um, clear in how you communicate your ideas when you're operating so much asynchronously and, and, rep- and respecting other people's time. You use some wonderful terms of phrase in the book. Uh, and I just want to, I want you to do, just elaborate on a couple of them, like turning FOMO to JOMO. Can you please describe mm-hmm. what you mean by that?
1: Sure. FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, and I think our culture is dominated by the fear of missing out right now. It's why everyone's paying attention to the news all the time and Twitter all the time or Instagram all the time, why people are picking up their phone hundreds of times a day in mm-hmm. many cases. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of missing out. And you're really not missing out on anything, of course, but we're afraid of missing out on something. Um, mm-hmm. At Basecamp, our general feeling is is we should be experiencing JOMO, which is the joy of missing out, that people shouldn't feel like they have to follow every single thing that's happening at work all the time, every project, every initiative, everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Instead, just settle into the thing you're working on and don't worry about anything else. Everyone else is worrying about their own thing, and everyone's like kind of focused on their own projects. And you could, of course, put your head up and what other people are working on from time to time. And at camp? we have a variety of ways that everybody can find out what's happening on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis in the company if they want to.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: there's no requirement to stay up to date on every little thing that's happening. And so we, we, we push back on tools and tooling that encourages people to pay attention to all sorts of things all the time. Instead, mm-hmm. we'd rather there be summaries written up At the end of every day or every few days or every week or whatever where people can then summarize what they've been working on for everybody else and then you can Mm -hmm. choose to read that if you want rather than feeling like you have to stay on top of it constantly one tiny bit at a time so that's what we Mm -hmm. we call jomo which is the joy of missing out just stay focused on your own stuff enjoy that don't feel any pressure to have to worry about all sorts of other things that are happening everyone's focused on their own thing and as a collective whole we can make a lot of progress together that way
0: so what what risks do you face? I, I can imagine some people listening thinking, yeah, but how do you coordinate? Uh, how do you share information? How do you know what other people need to know if you're not, uh, you know, on a, on a regular basis, uh, exchanging information through um, conversation and uh, you know regular updates? Yeah,
1: I mean, conversation and regular updates like these are these are happening, but they're happening amongst the teams that are working together on something. So. For example, any pretty much anything at Basecamp um, that we're building, feature of a, of a product or or any sort of infrastructure projects, whatnot, they're typically run by teams of three or fewer people, hmm. and those people communicate frequently, um, but we don't often do like interdependent projects where six departments have to talk together at the same time. Like that's just to me uh, a recipe for extreme slowdown and gears grinding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we think it's much better to glide past each other. So we should all be working on uh, like self, um, self or I should say like autonomous projects, let's say mm-hmm. um, that don't require this other group to do one thing before I can do the next thing or this other group to do two things before I can do two things. hmm so we're all able to do these little projects, and there's plenty of communication and whatever collaboration is necessary amongst the people who are working on them, but they're small teams, all focused individually on smaller things. And as a whole, we're getting a lot of things done that are important, but at the, at the, so that's at the macro level. But at the micro level, we're all sort of focused in on small groups, and small groups are far more efficient at communicating. You know, one of the reasons a lot of companies have to call large meetings is because they have too many people working on something together. Totally. And when you have too many people working on something together, you have to have a lot of management, mm-hmm. a lot of meetings, mm-hmm. a lot of repetitive repeating yourself about, like... Small is beautiful.
0: Know.
1: Exactly. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. So small is beautiful. So plenty of conversations, but they're they're small conversations. Mm-hmm. Local conversations versus global conversations across the company.
0: What's a vacation?
1: A vacation uh, that is F-A-K instead of V-A, so, uh-huh. um, is... Uh, is, is a is a vacation that's not really a vacation where you go on vacation you're supposed to take two weeks off, but you know, you're still getting emails from work or messages from work. You're still being expected to be on that conference call on Saturday because it's just so important. It's just one call. Mm-hmm. You know, these are vacations and, and they're, they're terrible things because they rob people of time off. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, at base camp, we encourage everyone to like completely go off the grid when it comes to any work so of course we use Basecamp but we also occasionally use email and we occasionally use some other things. Mm-hmm. Get rid of all of that stuff. Um, take it off of your phone. I don't want to hear from you and you shouldn't want to hear from us. And you are truly on vacation. When you come back, we can catch up. But we don't need to catch up in the middle of a vacation. So um, but I, I you know, I know so many people, I've been on many, many vacations with other with friends and mm-hmm. family who on Sunday at two o'clock there's a conference call, you know, because There's just that one call you have to be on, Mm and that's not a vacation. That breaks your vacation in half. It's unfair. So we're not big fans of those kinds of things.
0: What's a dreadline?
1: A dreadline is a deadline that nobody believes. Um, (laughs) It's a deadline that you dread uh, because it's supposed to be done Friday, but more and more work is being piled on 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 Wednesday and Thursday, and there's just no possible way this is going to get done. Or it means you're going to have to work all night, two nights, three nights in a row or the weekend to get it done. And that's, that's a dreadline. And many, many, many deadlines are dreadlines out there. So we try to make sure that our deadlines are relatively fixed and that what's flexible is not your work hours. So you still work eight hour days, Uh 40 hour weeks. Um, The deadline isn't flexible, really. Um, What's flexible is the scope of work. So we'll cut back on the work that we thought we could do. If we don't get it all done, we'll just cut work back to make it fit into the deadline. So You know, oftentimes, work keeps getting added as you're approaching a deadline. We try to narrow in as we go. We call it narrow as we go, which is Hmm. making sure the project is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as we approach the deadline to make sure that we never go over. And that's not true that we never go over, but we almost never go over.
0: You aspire to to narrow as you go. How do you do that?
1: Uh, You allow the teams that are working on the work to negotiate uh, what... uh, they can reasonably get done in that amount of time. Uh So what we don't have are declarations that this huge batch of work needs to happen by this date. What we have is an idea needs to happen by this date. And the version of that idea is up to the team that's working on, Uh on the idea. So they have control over what it needs. They know fundamentally what it needs to do and they have control over how to get there. Um, Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, you just end up having people who don't have to do the work telling other people exactly how much work they need to do, and that's always a recipe for, for dreadlines and, and, and resentment and all sorts of different things. So you've got to give the team control yes. over the amount of work itself.
0: So, Jason, all this sounds great. You guys are making money too, right?
1: Yeah, last I checked. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We've been... Um, you know, we've profitability is a key part of being calm. If your business isn't profitable, you're pretty much almost always out of business. And that's never a good place to be. If you want to be calm, I mean, how could you be if you're afraid of not being able to make payroll or Mm -hmm. not being able to pay the rent or whatever it might be, that's, you're never going to be chill in that situation. So we've been profitable ever since we started the business. We launched the business in 1999 and uh, next year will be our 20th year Mm -hmm. uh, in business. And we've been profitable every single year. And, um, Every quarter and every year, so it's key for us. And if we're if we're not that, we have a, a real problem. So
0: that's 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 where it all has to begin. And and how do you assess whether people are performing well? And, and, um, and do you do any differentiating on quality and and, and productivity?
1: Yeah, so um, well, I can speak to you know a couple things there. So we do performance reviews uh, twice a year, essentially. And, uh, they're done by the team leads, you know, people who, who, um, someone reports directly to. So we do that. Um, we're also just paying attention to everybody's work all the time. We're a relatively small company. We have 54 people at the company. So it's not, there's no mysteries. You can't go hide in the corner. It's pretty obvious what everybody's doing. Um, and as far as salaries go, we make sure that we pay everybody in the same role and level, the exact same. So we've eliminated, mm. completely li- eliminated salary negotiations, um, bonuses, anything like that. Wow. You're you're assessed on your particular role. So, for example, I'll give you some something concrete. Let's say you're a designer at Basecamp. There's a number of, of tiers. There's basically your levels. There's junior designer, designer, lead designer, uh, principal designer. I think I may have gotten all those, but I may have missed one. But those, those are the tiers. And you know where you slot in based on your, your experience and your work, and everybody in that exact same role gets paid the exact same amount. So you never have to work with someone else in the same role who, who had a better negotiating skill than mm-hmm. you, or had a better day, or the manager had a better day, or a worse day. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Uh, I find it to be really unbelievable that people have to be not only great at their job, but also great negotiators to mm-hmm. be paid with their worth. It doesn't seem right. So we've, we've um, eliminated that process at Basecamp. Hmm.
0: And, and you don't find that that uh, uh, reduces motivation to try to be better than the guy who's in the next cubicle?
1: Uh, we haven't seen that. Um, like Again, you can move up. So if you're, let's say, a, mm-hmm. you know, a junior designer and you want to become a designer, um, then like that's how you progress. Mm-hmm. You don't progress by... Uh, you know, being better than the person next to you in the same role, you you work on improving your skills to move up a role or move up a level, I should say. So, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, it's not for everybody. We've had some people over the years who've decided that um, they uh, don't like that system, and that's entirely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we think overall, it's it's the best system, and and for us at least. And also, the other thing is is that part of that is that we pay incredibly high salaries so we pay Ah. uh, in the top 10 percent of the industry based on san francisco rates even though in chicago yeah well not only that nobody in in our company lives in san francisco and uh, our company is spread across 30 or 40 different cities around the world because we're remote so you can live in tennessee and still make san francisco rates you can live in
2: wow
1: you know nebraska you can live in, in in canada you know in northern canada in remote canada uh, you know, in, in Ontario, way up north, we have a programmer who's moving way, way, way up north. Like, there's no way he could get a job doing what we're doing mm-hmm. there. Um, he's paying, getting paid terms to score rates. So everybody in the company- That's incredible. score rates, regardless of where they are. Wow.
0: So, um, you know, this really sounds like, uh, in so many ways, an, an ideal workplace, but your company is small. I mean, it's not tiny, but 54 people compared to, like, a lot of enterprises is relatively small if how do you think about scaling uh, or do you not think about that personally or, or like when you know do you when you when you speak to business owners uh, CEOs of companies that are let's say five ten times your size do they say yeah that'd be great but we could never do it in our business because we're too big what do you say yeah, to they that say
1: it all, they say it all the time mm-hmm. but people at 20 person companies say the same thing too that, that, well that would never work for us well okay uh <laughs> I don't know how to answer that, other than you probably haven't tried, and mm. tell me why you don't think it would work for you, mm-hmm. and you kind of get, get, you know go down that path and start to dig into some of these things. And I'm not suggesting that everything we have to say works for everybody at all. Right. I mean, nothing works for everybody. Of course. Likewise, companies that are you know ten times the size of ours, we shouldn't be following their lead either. And I think that's what happens with a lot of small businesses—they mm. try to follow the lead of big companies. That's the wrong lead to follow. There are far more small companies in the world, first of all, than big companies, mm-hmm. and I really don't care about. Um, scaling. So we've never really cared about scaling. We um, we hire who we need to do the work that we need to do. We take care of over a hundred thousand customers that pay us on a monthly basis. Um, so we have a very big customer base and a very large reach, but only fifty-four people at the company. Hmm. That's the kind of scale that I like to see, which mm-hmm. is you know uh, high revenue per employee, high profitability per employee, lots of customers spread out, but um, none of them pay us an outsized amount. So. Part of our business model, which is really unique in the software world, is that um, we don't charge by the seat. And what that means is that we don't charge per person in a company. So, for example, Basecamp 3, which you could sign up for right now, is 99 bucks a month flat. doesn't matter how many people in your company you have. You won't pay us more than 99 bucks a month. And that gives us a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. and safety. Because if, for example, something happens and 10% of our customers left tomorrow, we'd be fine. But if some of your customers pay you a huge amount of money
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the 10% that leave are those, you're in deep shit.
0: Yeah, so you've, you know, so you've spread the risk.
1: We've spread the risk amongst many, mm-hmm. many, many customers, all paying us a little bit, essentially. And that's a much safer place to be than to, you know, yeah. the, the thing we say in the book is you never want to have a customer you can't afford to lose.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But when you're focused on scaling, um, like a lot of software companies are, they're focused on on landing the big whales, the company with 10,000, 20,000 accounts, which Mm -hmm. is a huge revenue number for them, sure, but it puts enormous Mm -hmm. risk and strain on the organization Mm -hmm. to make sure that they are always well taken care of at the expense of others. So we Mm -hmm. can stay away from that model, too. Hmm.
0: Well, I know that there are people listening thinking, man, I would like to work for that company or something like, or I, I can't. Think about working in that business or that company, but I'd like to make my company more like that. What do you tell those folks, especially those who are not business owners, who are, might be at the middle or the bottom of a hierarchy? What advice yeah, do you have it, for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is tough to, to uh, do some of the stuff if you don't have the power, right? Obviously, it's mm-hmm. difficult to do. Um, I think the best the best advice really is to is to figure out what you can do in your own local sphere. So you may not mm-hmm. own the place, you may mm-hmm. not even be a top top manager, but maybe you're a middle manager. Maybe you run a small team of four people. What can you do amongst those four people mm-hmm. that brings a little bit more calm? And I would think the first thing, the first place to start is to just stop bothering each other so often. <laughs> um, <laughs> so
0: try and like one thing we. How do I do annoy do is, you, and how can I stop that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: One, one, one way to look at this is to think about like one day a month, have what we would call like no talk. I think we've talked about this in another show, like no talk first Thursday of the month or something like that, where nobody on your team or if you have all the power, nobody in your company can talk to each other. Just spend a day in silence working on your own thing. You can't ask for help. You can't just... Do your own stuff for a day. Like a meditation retreat,
0: gonna, just on your own.
1: Basically, but at work, right? Okay. Focus on your own work. Mm-hmm. And what you're going to find is that you want more days like that. You're not going to go, mm-hmm. that sucked. You're going to go, that was amazing. I've never had that much time to myself at work before ever. And <laughs> you're going to want more and more of those days. So depending on how much power you have, you might be able to spread that out across the entire organization. Well, especially if you, days,
0: improve, if you can improve if you prove the, the value, the impact, if you can see results from it.
1: Sure. And you know, look, you may not see results in a single day, but mm-hmm. you'll feel results in a single day. Mm-hmm. You'll feel like I got more stuff done today. I want to do that again. People will be asking, I mm-hmm. promise you, people will be clamoring for more of those kinds of days. And then you begin to do more of that. And mm-hmm. again, like if you have full power, spread across the whole organization. If mm-hmm. you're a small local group, just do it in your small group if you can. Mm-hmm. And just take little steps. Little steps are all you can do to start. Mm-hmm. Show some momentum, get some momentum, get some, some quick wins, and then pile those together. And before you know it, you might have you know, affected or impacted a bit of change that perhaps you didn't think you could, but now you can one small step at a time.
0: So as CEO, how do you direct your time and attention? What's your basic recipe? Uh, s-
1: same as I would expect from everyone else, which is, you know, as much time to myself uh, as, I ha- as I can to focus on the things that are important to me on that given day. Like right now, we're beginning to explore um, another idea that we have. It's a relatively new idea. We've been kind of playing with it for a few months, and we're starting to get more serious about it. So I don't have a full week. I have an empty week, which means that I can focus almost all of my time thinking about this idea and sketching this idea and playing with it and, and playing through different scenarios and mm-hmm. trying new things that we've never tried before. So like, that's currently what my day looks like. Last, you know, last week we had our whole company in town. We do that twice a, twice a year. We bring everybody in town. For nice. So I was focused on that, la- the, you know, the previous week, a few weeks before that I was focused on getting the book out and the book came out on uh, October 2nd. So mm-hmm. just doing more promotion talking about that and mm-hmm. writing articles and whatnot. So, my day is very much about what's happening now versus, uh, you know, a, a prescribed, you know, I have a meeting at 9, then I have a meeting at 11, then I have a meeting at 1, then I have a lunch, you know, all that stuff. I, I, don't, I don't work that way. I work wide open and focus on, you know, wherever I can do to, to help the company or to explore new ideas.
0: And that, of course, sets the tone. And other people see that that is not only uh, expected, but legitimate and valuable that approach to organizing one's day, one's time.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you just think about having time to think like when's the last time you've actually had time to think at work, most people would say, I I don't know. I I haven't really had time to think. My, Mm -hmm. my days are full already. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think thinking is a big part of working and, and you should have some space for that. And, and I would hope that, um, you know, everyone can have that. And so, you know, by not again stealing people's time with corporate meetings and prescribed moments away from work, people have more time for themselves to themselves to spend some more time thinking about the things they're working on and doing a better job because of it.
0: So what is it that you do, if I may ask, that is valuable to you in your life beyond the the space and time that you devote to Basecamp? And and how does how do those pursuits uh, enrich or affect your your role uh as CEO of Basecamp,
1: sure. I mean, I'm really fortunate to have. We just had a baby six weeks ago, uh-huh. um, and I've got a four-year-old son as well. So congratulations a lot of my, kind of outside of work. Thank you. A lot of my time outside of work is focused on family right now, which is a great reminder about what's actually important, and also another reminder that I can't spend sixty hours at work because I've got a family. I wake up with my son, and um, you know. Spend time with him in the morning while my wife is taking care of our new daughter for in the morning and like i you know take him to school and then you know i, I go to work and i come home around four sometimes i pick him up at school at 3 15 but like i want to spend some time with him before he goes to bed he goes to bed about seven mm-hmm. so you know i if i'm at work all day and all night or even into the early evening i don't see my family that that's that's not going to happen that's not going to work for me why not? So it's a great reminder why is that why
0: is that not going to happen jason
1: <laughs> i won't allow that to happen like i i, mm-hmm. I have to check out at five thirty from work basically and that's what i would expect everyone to do is to leave around 5 five thirty, or you know whatever time they, they put in their eight hours because some people start work late but the mm-hmm. whole point is is that um it's a wonderful set of boundaries family's a wonderful set of boundaries first of all you want to see them but also you have to see them um and uh And so it just reminds me that 40 hours is plenty of time to do great work and eight hour days are are more than enough time to get things done. So that's a big part of it. I also have a number of different hobbies all over the place from collecting vintage watches to gardening to restoring land up in Wisconsin, some land that I own um, to architecture to a bunch of other things which I try to somehow squeeze into the extra time uh, that that I, or I should say the limited time I have given the fact that we have young kids at the moment but Mm -hmm. that's uh, how I sold my days. And by the way, I should say that that additional perspective um, I think is really helpful because it takes my mind completely off of work. Right. And it gives my mind a different, you know, direction and angle to look at things from. And then I can, you know, I don't know if I bring those different perspectives back to work, but I know giving my mind a break helps it think things through and work things out that I can't while I'm thinking about those things. A lot of things... Mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you solve these problems when you're not thinking about them yes and if you're focused on just thinking about these problems all the time even at night and on weekends like you, you just don't get the distance you need to actually think things through so uh,
0: there's science that uh, yeah. demonstrates that you, you need it's when you release from the pressure of uh, problem solving that create, creative insights uh, emerge so so you yeah, find that these other pursuits in your life enrich your work as uh, as, as CEO of Basecamp
1: well, I'd say they enrich my life initially, of course, mm-hmm. and then that in turn enriches my work. Um, work is a part of life versus the other way around. I think, um, you know, I, I want work to take a piece of life rather than, than, um, than, than life taking pieces of work, if, if that makes any
0: sense. Of course. Um, and and yeah, America's, so, uh, well, finish your thought and then I'll ask you another question.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say. So I think anything that enriches my life will naturally enrich my work as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And yet, here in our country today, uh, it we remains uh, as as I started at the top. You know, a badge of honor to be crazy at work and to be, you know, addicted to work almost. <clears throat> so, what what other thoughts that we haven't covered here? Would you want to offer people to help? Companies and employees challenge the the toxic culture of workaholism that says that you 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 know you have to be constantly working or feeling the need to somehow outwardly dis- display that you're constantly in demand and working. Uh, yeah. H- how to uh, how to break out of that?
1: Well, first I figure out where that demand is coming from. So what, what's actually causing you to feel like you need to be working all the time? Is that actually even a real thing? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just sort of adopt it because it's, it's out there in the zeitgeist, essentially. But maybe no one's asking you to do that, perhaps. Although in many cases they are, but maybe mm-hmm. they're not. So I think mm-hmm. looking at that is important. But I think deeper than that is to think about your career is going to be a long career. You know, you're, you're let's say you get out of school in your early 20s and you're going to go to work. You're probably going to work for 40-plus years. So what kind of sustainable habits can you form early because the things we do over and over and over are the habits that we form the things we do over and over it's very hard to break those things right mm-hmm. habits are incredibly hard to break and so if you believe that you need to put in an enormous number of hours and be constantly hustling and constantly busy in your 20s so by the time you're in your 40s you don't have to do that that doesn't seem like the way it actually works what ends up happening is you just get used to doing that oh, yeah. you think that's the only way to do that mm-hmm. and then you're Exhausted, and then you have a family, and you don't, you can't do that, or mm-hmm. you do that, and then all sorts of other bad things happen because of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it's really important to think these things through and recognize that you are forming habits that are going to stick with you over a long period of time. They become increasingly difficult to break unless they're forcefully broken. Mm-hmm. So when they're forcefully broken, all sorts of bad things can happen. So that's why I think it's so important to think about this stuff. And I and I do talk to new entrepreneurs and, and bre- or brand new people out of school
2: mm-hmm.
1: who 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 you know don't think that way. And I didn't think that way either, you know, until, Mm -hmm. you know, I I realized it early on, but I didn't think that way immediately. And I wish someone would have told me this because, um, you know, it's pretty easy to get into bad habits and and find yourself just working all the time.
0: Most people do.
1: Yeah. And then you're stuck. And and the thing is, is that in some countries and in some cultures, there's pressure not to do that. In the Mm -hmm. United States, there is not that pressure. The pressure is to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, if you don't know any better and society is telling you to do this, then you're naturally going to keep pushing harder and mm-hmm. harder and harder and harder because you think there's some payoff in the end. The payoff is exhaustion, typically, and a lot of people have burned out, and they still have a long career to go, and they've already hit burnout really early. So and I think it's really dangerous.
0: It takes it takes a deliberate, conscious choice uh, to, to circle back to where we began. Jason, we are basically out of time here. I have one more question for you that I've been asking. Sure all my guests this year because I think it's uh, it's an important topic and I want to hear uh, the wisdom from the wonderful people I get to talk to on the show, including you. And, and the question is this, how do you bring compassion to your working life?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about that actually at work lately. Um, right. And I think the number one thing is you've just got to realize everybody human, everybody has things that affect them outside of work that they naturally have to bring to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be going through a rough spot in life for whatever reason. Um, they might be going through relationship issues. They might be going through medical issues. There, there's people go through all sorts of things. Life is a challenge. Um, and you've got to keep that in mind. So when someone's having a rough time at work or they're not doing great work for whatever reason, it's good to think about like, to, to you know, you can either ask or, or inquire, like, why is that? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because something else is going on in their life. And as long as you sort of recognize that that's the case, mm-hmm. you give them, you, you cut them some slack, and you leave them some space, and you talk to them about it, and see if you can help. Give them some extra time off, whatever they need to get their mind around these things. Um, everyone knows that you know in most companies you can take a day off for for being physically ill, mm-hmm. but in a lot of companies you can't take time off for having a mental mm-hmm. uh, challenge
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or or being mentally ill in the short term. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And so. Uh, we have uh, mental sick days as well as physical sick hmm. days. In fact, they're just called sick days. And if you just have a tough day for whatever reason, you can mm-hmm. take a day off. You don't have to explain why. Things like that. I think that goes a long way to earning the respect of everybody and showing it's, everybody that you do care about them as people, not just employees.
0: It's it's humane. Jason, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Very quickly, how can people find out more about, about your wonderful new book and about Basecamp?
1: Sure. Well, you can just go to Basecamp.com first of all, to check out Basecamp. The book is at basecamp.com slash calm, C-A-L-M, or you can find the book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble Mm -hmm. or any bookstore and uh, check it out and buy a copy. It's a quick read, three hours or or less, Mm -hmm. and you'll be back on with your work and hopefully with, uh, with something new to think about.
0: It's a great read, and I really appreciate your producing it and for setting the model that you do. Uh, with with your work and your philosophy of uh, how to do business in our modern world. Jason Fried, thank you. thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason Freed, the amazing CEO of Basecamp, and that it provoked your thinking, perhaps prodded you to come up with some new ways, hopefully feasible ways, of working fewer hours, and being more productive during those hours. So here is a challenge to you, an invitation. Consider taking some small step toward protecting your sacred time, like not responding to emails or calls except for one specified period during the day so you have an undisturbed chunk of time for thinking and getting your top priority assignments done. Why not try that? And let me know if you do and what other ideas occurred to you while listening to my conversation with Jason Freed. I would love to hear from you, so get in touch with me directly. at Wharton.upen.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and co-workers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.